You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. What's up, music lovers? Welcome to the Modern Musicology Podcast. My name is Alan, and what you're listening to tonight is a recording of a live show that we did on Sunday evening, July 2nd. And we did this to celebrate our 75th episode. Unfortunately, we were planning on doing this a week earlier, and an electrical storm knocked out all our power, so we couldn't do it. So we're doing this actually now as our 76th episode. So we're happy to have you joining us. I'll be introducing my co-host in just a second. But to let you know, tonight's topic is what makes a great vocalist. So when you're talking about pop music, that covers so much ground, lots of different styles and genres from the sheer power of James Hetfield, Tina Turner, Rob Halford, Patti LaBelle, and the raw power of Iggy Pop, Xene, and Dave Grohl. You've got the down-home Americana of Bruce Springsteen and John Cougar Mellencamp, classically trained singers like Celine Dion and Pat Benatar, the airy and ethereal delivery of John Anderson and Kate Bush, classic crooners like Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and Rosemary Clooney, and modern crooners like John Legend and Michael Buble, all the way to the weird, unconventional styles of Bjork. Susie Sue and Lena Lovich. We're going to cover as much of it as we can tonight. So from this point on, you'll be listening to a live recording from Sunday, July 2nd. Hope you enjoy it. What's up, music lovers? We are Modern Musicology Podcast. How's everybody doing? Hi, people. We're doing Groovy. good. Awesome. So let me introduce the gang. Up at the top right, we have Rob Levy, journalist and DJ. Hey, greetings and salutations. On the bottom left, we have a bass player and a guy from London, Anthony Williams. Sup? <laughs> And on the bottom right, we have singer, songwriter, solo artist, former drummer of the Aquanetas, Stephanie Seymour. Hello, people. Hi, everybody. All right. So tonight we are talking about what makes a great vocalist. We're talking about singers from rock and roll, from soul, from metal, from anything that comes across our path. We have got a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about. You know, the nice thing about popular music is that it covers so many different genres, so many different styles, and there's just an endless array of people that we can discuss tonight. So my first question is, what to you makes a great vocalist? What is it? What are the qualities that you look for or listen for when you're listening for what you consider great performances? I always look for, well, you know, I feel like I'm going to be um, kind of of two minds tonight. One uh, part of me feels like a great vocalist is technically good, but then I also feel like a great vocalist, you know, can just not be technically good, but have an amazing kind of style and amazing presence. Somebody that captures you when you're, you know, a live performance that might be, you know, really gripping 
Um, so I feel like I have different criteria and it doesn't always, it doesn't always fit every box. You know, what about you guys? Yeah, I, I feel that Stephanie. I, my initial thought was someone has to have a great set of pipes, right? They have to be able to have a huge range. But as I thought about it more and more, I realized that's not necessarily the case. Right. I think someone can have a very limited range, but still be very good at what they do within that. Exactly. So there's, there's an element of kind of knowing where their strengths are and playing to those strengths. And I know it's potentially controversial, but I would also say a certain level of charisma. Oh, without a doubt. I used to be in a band back in Florida where we, we changed singers. We had a guy who was not the best singer. You know, he did a good job. He he could carry a tune, but he didn't have the best voice. But he was phenomenal on stage. Mm -hmm. And you could connect with him. He sold whatever you were selling. Yeah. He was phenomenal. He left. Then another guy came in and he was a good singer. I mean, just a beautiful voice and really good, but stiff as a tree on stage. Yep. And so the, you, you do have exactly that. You have the, the people with charisma, the people with a good voice. And sometimes in one package, you have both things. And that's when it's magic. Yeah. I also looked at what their legacy is to, to connecting them to now. And also sort of in some cases, their connections to the past as well. You know, I think that there's certain people that are going to be influences almost on every single person we mentioned today, which is kind of interesting. But I look at like their legacy, you know, I look at their body of work, the duration of the work. In some cases, it's been very short and really brilliant. But I also look up, look at, you know, have they crossed over to other genres and things like that, too. Mm -hmm. So just... Really quickly, I just want to say that some random guy named Bob Perry says, <laughs> great to see you on screen. That might be my husband. I say, be. who's that guy? Great. <laughs> Never heard of that guy. And also, Sean Bartlett says, hey, Sean. he's thinking of Mike Skinner. Rob just informs me that Sean, who just posted that comment, is in Scotland. Yes. Oh, he, Sean. Yeah. He, hosts a, uh, he hosts a radio show on uh, Heartland FM in Super. Perth which is in, in the Highlands oh, of Scotland. Wow. And um, I happened upon his show on uh, radio, uh, radio Garden once, and um, it's probably the best two hours of radio I ever heard. And so I've been listening ever since. Wow. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Scotland. That is amazing. It's 1 a.m. over there, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Crazy. So each one of us has selected five vocalists that we want to talk about. And yes, five. And um, so we're going to go sort of a round robin deal. Rob is going to lead us off. And we're going to talk about some of these vocalists and why we love them and some examples of what makes them great. So wait, before we do that, though. Jim, Jim Cardillo, my buddy. Jim Cardillo says, how important is having a distinctive voice that you can recognize immediately factor into it? That a is point. a good Wow, question. he just set the table. He really <laughs> set the table. Because right. Jim knows his music. <laughs> I, I've seen what we all have put up as our choices. Yeah. Had a little bit of a sneak preview. And I think every single one of them has their own distinctive voice. Yes. So yeah. I, I, I think, Jim, you're going to see for all of us, that's very important. Yeah. 
Agreed. And, you know, I'm certainly thinking of examples of where even when they're not the featured singer on something and they're doing like background vocals on someone else's record, you can tell mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. voice. And, you know, there's there are certain people like and I'm just going to say Miss Patty LaBelle, you cannot hide that voice i mean that is a voice that just cuts through anything so yes i think distinctive voice is a really important point all right so rob why don't you kick us off with your first so featured singer i uh i started with johnny cash mainly because a couple things first that bass baritone voice uh there's not really another voice that's like it now granted he doesn't really have a whole lot going on in the charisma category, but the voice and the outlaw image and just the life story yeah. pretty much makes up for that. And his songs about tribulation, retribution, sorrow, you know, even his gospel records and his albums where he did an album of patriotic songs, they're all incredible. And he has this almost five decade body of work right? Everything from, you know, Folsom Prison all the way through Hurt. There's a great story this week. Um, someone was talking to Martin Gore of Depeche Mode and they said, hey, what did you think of Johnny Cash covering Personal Jesus? And he goes, you know, what's funny about that is someone called me and said they heard Johnny Cash's version of Personal Jesus on the radio and he never called and asked for permission, but he's Johnny Cash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they never actually did anything. They never like just, they just, it's Johnny Cash. We're right. like letting it go. But the thing is, right. The life story of, you know, addiction and sorrow and, you know, having these crazy marriages and, and all of the stuff that he went through is really prolific. And those experiences have influenced his music. Um, you start off with the Sun Record stuff, which is sort of basically really slapdash quick great in and out kind of rockabilly country stuff and then you get this like sophisticated end game with the rick rubin catalog where you get like hurt and you get the cover of personal jesus and you get the the cover of i've been everywhere which is on like every commercial everywhere now <laughs> yeah you know just a prolific storyteller sometimes i wonder whether he sings or whether he's just telling stories or if he's both and he sort of set the table you know for everyone from trent reznor to metallica you know, to some of these new country guys that are coming up now. It's really hard to not look at that catalog and just look at like those records for like 20 or 30 years, you know, and now we're looking at the stuff he did in the, in the, in the 80, the late seventies and eighties when he was like really addicted, but kind of not focusing on putting out great records. And even that stuff's been kind of reexamined is like, wow, this is better than we thought. Um, also, you know, those collaborations that he did outside of Ruben but, you know, he, he was in a band with Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that whole thing was awesome as well. So, um, yeah, that's mine right there. That's my first one. Right on. Okay. Mm, well, I can't even imagine who your first kid would be. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So I, it was very hard to pick five, but what I did was I pictured myself on a desert island. And if I, if I, I if I couldn't imagine myself not hearing their voices ever again, they made my top five, but it's very hard. I mean, it really, wow. it's just, Oh yeah. So, course. okay. So my first pick is Linda Ronstadt. Mm. I don't think there's, I just, for me, there's just not really a better voice she's, she's got such a pure tone. She's so versatile. She can sing anything. Yeah. She really can. She can sing anything, any style. It's yep. she's perfect. She's perfect. So I, 
I don't know. She, she, she was my number one choice for that. Um, things that really hooked me, songs that really got me into her were, and, and I wasn't, you know, I, I grew up in the seventies and, you know, I knew her from radio really. Um, but when I, I went back and sort of examined her more in the nineties, I would say more, more around the nineties and then two thousands. And I really got hooked on her interpretation of Desperado, uh, her cover of rock me on the water. By the way, another thing about her, she she interprets a song like nobody's business, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's not, she she puts her own spin on every single thing she does. So I just, I, she's to me, she's absolute perfection, everything she does. And that yeah. is my number one pick. I will throw in on that. Yes, that she is the kind of person that sings any style of music like she was born to sing that style of music but i i tend to love her more like rock and mm-hmm. when she was kind of like in the early like the new wave movement she kind of got a little a slight bit punkier and stuff like that so like one and get closer or something like that get like, closer is yeah. fantastic it but is. my favorite ronstadt album is mad love mm-hmm. oh my god i love that yes. so much yeah I mean, I agree. Like she's been through many styles and every one of them, I think she nails. Yeah. All right, Anthony, let's, can we please unleash the <laughs> metal? Yes. And, and we are going to bring the dragon with Ronnie James Dio as the first yeah, dog. Yeah. <laughs> and I picked Ronnie because I think he has one of the most iconic voices in hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah. He started out with a band called Elf, but where he really made his name initially was when he joined Richie Blackmore in Rainbow. And you listen to those early Rainbow records and you really hear his versatility, whether it's a very kind of soft, smooth voice on something like Catch the Rainbow or Mm. his iconic vocal fry on (laughs) something like Kill the King. And we talked about charisma earlier, and I always remember a story from the documentary that Alan and I watched together at the end of last year, where shortly after he joined Black Sabbath, he had to deal with a lot of audiences chanting for Ozzy Osbourne. Mm. And he would get quite a hostile atmosphere, but by the Mm -hmm. end of the show, he had that audience eating out of his hand. Yeah, Uh, He really, to me, had everything, the charisma, the voice, the, the look, I mean, you just saw him. I mean, come on. And his career, in my mind, is second to none. I mean, he was in three of the most iconic heavy metal bands of all time, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, and then his eponymous band, Dio. And all three of them, you know, to hit gold three times, that right. is yeah. unusual. Right. You know, you kind of get success with one band okay that that could be luck two bands ooh, you know you join black sabbath come on you're gonna fail with black sabbath then you go off and do a solo thing and that is just as big as everything else and that sa- that says a lot about the quality of his voice his vocal style and his on-stage charisma absolutely iconic and just to name some one song from each band that i think really epitomizes how spectacular his voice is uh from rainbow i would say go listen to stargazer a hundred percent from sabbath it's it's die young Hmm. and from uh dio 
uh, Straight Through the Heart. I think nice. those three really, really give a good account of Ronnie James Dio. What I think is interesting about Dio is, as someone who's not a big metal guy, I know when I hear him that it's Dio. And I think that is like one yeah. of the biggest testaments that you can have, especially in a genre that doesn't necessarily get the widespread proliferation that other genres do. Like the minute you hear a song of his and he's singing, you know who it is. And, and that, I think that, that, that's a huge legacy testament. Yeah. And that feeds into the question that Jim asked at the beginning, yeah. how important yes. is having a distinctive voice? He's but one I, of them. I 100% agree, but I also think it's his songwriting. I think that oh, yeah. he writes songs that don't sound like anybody else. There are certain things in a in a Ronnie composition, whether it be him working with one of those bands or him in his solo project, that just scream Ronnie James Dio to you. It's more than just the voice. It's the lyrics. It's the imagery. It's everything. Yeah. Hi, Absolutely. Karen. We're waving to Karen Carlucci, who says hello. <laughs> oh, nice. Thanks for joining us, Karen. So, Alan, okay, so, what are, what's your number well, one? Well, you know, what's interesting is that when we put together our lists, we cover lots of territory. So we've had sort of the outlaw country guy. We've had the the sort of uh, singer, chanteuse kind of thing. We've had the metal guy. And now it's time for some soul and funk because we're going to go to Prince. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. I think that everyone talks about Prince as what a phenomenal musician he was, what a songwriter he was as a producer, the influence that he's had on rock music. I don't think a lot of people really talk about him as a pure singer. Mm -hmm. He has an incredible range. He has an incredible range of styles he can do anything and plus phenomenal guitar player but more than that he's a keyboardist he's a bass player he's a drummer yeah. he is a one-man band and his early albums are exactly that you know his first couple of albums are just him in the studio and everything you hear is him playing it and man i think he is one of the most like true consummate musicians he like exuded music yep. in every way. And there was a period in the eighties where he had so much material that he was writing and all of it of such quality that he had to basically farm all that stuff out because Warner brothers was like, we are not releasing a new Prince album every month yeah. because that is impossible to sell. It's impossible to market. So you, you, we can't do it. So he started, getting bands like the time and the family and all these other bands that 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 was his way to farm out a lot of the material that he was writing. Plus he wrote stuff for the Bengals and you know, all these other songs that he's putting out. Um, and then other artists are doing covers of his stuff like Cindy Lauper and Shaka Khan and the eighties. Like even when there's not a Prince record on a chart at any moment, there's probably a Prince song somewhere there from another artist because he was a constant output of material and, and all of it incredible quality. And, you know, his songs made other artists. Like you look at Sinead O'Connor, right? Yeah. Sinead O'Connor is nowhere near a commercial name without having a Prince song under yeah. her belt. 
Rob, right, Rob, who's yours? Who you got next? So uh, I'm going to go to Manchester, well, Macclesfield to be specific, and talk about Ian Curtis of Joy Division. Now, bear in mind, there's only two Joy Division albums. So the body of work is very, very short. But you listen to, you know, things now like Interpol, for example, and you hear Ian Curtis, or you listen to Idols, you hear Ian Curtis. So he's got this like dark baritone voice working for him. He's got this like dancing style that is still just bizarre. So he's got this like charisma and the stage presence and this like thing where you can't stop watching him. Even if you're watching old videos of him, you still can't stop watching him. And the lyrics are kind of like very, very in tune with the sort of things around him that are going on, right? With his with his various illnesses and, you know, growing up in a working class family and just digesting as much Jim Morrison and Bowie as he can and <laughs> spitting it out in, in a different sort of version. But for a guy whose, you know, career ended in 1980, we're still talking about him now. And that voice, there is still not a voice that sounds like it at all, which is really, you know, I think is important as well. You know, so I think when he talks about having a distinctive voice, when Jim talks about that, I think he's right. He's, he's got a voice that is really, you know, timeless in many ways uh, because you listen to it now and it doesn't sound like this was made in, you know, 79 or 80. I think the thing that he really has outside of the Christmas, he's, he has still this sense of mystery that kind of awes people. They're like, where are his lyrics coming from? Where is he coming from? What's he going through? He's got this like almost mythos about him that um has still carried him through and those those two records that he's on i mean there's also still which is the live record but you know those two records that he made are fantastic still and you listen to closer now and you listen to like a song like decades you can hear that this guy this is a guy in pain right probably not till kurt cobain would we hear somebody who's mm -hmm. like singing mm -hmm. about pain that's going through pain in this way yeah and you know it's almost it's almost like a a manifestation of like Bessie Smith or Billy Holiday and how he's singing about his pain and his agony, but no one knew just how deep it was. And I think that coming out in the lyrics and then also, you know, you kind of have this weird tongue in cheek thing where he's like, so tired of love will keep us together by the captain and Tennille that he makes love will tear us apart. Right. Um, which is, you know, kind of fun and weird. In Curtis's influence. I mean, you made yeah. the point, Rob, it's still lost today and you listen to an even newer band like white lies yeah and you hear that direct lineage mm. it's it's amazing how there are still bands forming over 40 years later some of these guys weren't even born most when he died yeah. yeah who are still you know claiming that direct influence and when you go to go to manchester it is eerie how much his fingerprints are all over that city still it's it's really interesting in terms of being like a cultural icon. It's it's fascinating. Okay, so that brings me to Elton John. This goes to Jim Cardillo's point again, distinctive voice. I, I would say I'm not really maybe talking about his later albums. I think his voice did have a bit of a it was it changed, obviously. Um, but his early to mid years, I just don't think there was a better well, I mean, there were maybe equal. There weren't better rock singers though. And charisma out the wazoo obviously look at him and um <laughs> i i do look to captain fantastic as being a really 
Uh, I mean, it's my favorite album of his. I don't think there's a bad song on it. I don't think there's a mediocre song on it. It's it's genius. Um, but you know, you listen to songs on there like "We All Fall in Love" sometimes. Captain Fantastic, obviously Captain Fantastic and the Brown Cowboy, the first song. It's it's really it's a concept album. It's obviously it's about Bernie and Elton's journey from you know nothing to making it big time. It's a real story. Um, and I also love, I have to say, many years later, they did a follow-up to that album called Captain and the Kid. And it's 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 not great. It's not perfect or anything, but it's really interesting. And um, there's, some, there's some excellent songs on that album too. But I don't think, I just don't think I could ever live without not hearing his voice again. You know, um, he's also you you can go back and watch performances that he's done. I'm talking about just when he did stuff as a trio with like him and Nigel and D and Dave, was it Davey or D must've been D. Uh, and the sound that they produced and the, the harmonies too are just, they're unmistakable. They're unmistakable and they're just incredible. So he's, he's, to me, he's that was also the first album I ever bought was great uh, greatest greatest hits Elton John's greatest hits in '74 came out I think. So that's a good one. That's my guy. Um, before we move on, Sean mm. Bartlett says about iconic singers. A lot of it depends for me on where I'm at at any specific time. For example, Iggy Pop can't sing for Toffee, but you cannot ignore him. And his songs made the film Train Spotting. It's true. Yes. But sometimes his uh, unique voice, and I don't mean to dwell on Maggie for too long because I know we have other singers we all want to mention, but sometimes it really works in a song. I can't imagine Gimme Danger being sung by anyone else. And I have heard it sung by Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, sometimes, even though, as Sean suggests, he can't sing, that in itself fits a certain style yeah yeah but definitely. and it's like you were saying earlier anthony about when you know somebody knows how to use what it is they have yeah. and when like a song is written well for that kind of voice then it totally works like in the hair metal scene you know i don't really consider tom Kiefer to be one of the greatest singers but when cinderella does a song that's written well for tom's voice man he just kills it well, I think I'm going to stay true to type and take us to some more metal. And anyone who is watching the video feed as opposed to listening <laughs> to this will see I'm wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. And that yes. was deliberate for this. Yes. Because my next choice is the one and only Bruce Dickinson, the air raid siren himself. <laughs> and to me, there's a similarity here with Dio in the power of the voice. I mean, you listen to Iron Maiden's first two records, were, which were without him, and then you listen to The Number of the Beast, which was their first album with him, mm. and you see what he adds to that band. And his voice has a vibrato and a sustain to it that has just been... I, I guess singers have been trying to mimic that ever since, and there's only one Bruce Dickinson. You can try all you want, but there's only one Bruce. And I think that really shows... Uh, Bruce is someone who needs to stay interested in his product, uh, in his projects. And the end of his first 
stint with Iron Maiden, he was getting bored. The quality drops off. But then he went and had an amazing solo career where he made two of the best metal albums of all time with Accidents of Birth and The Chemical Wedding. And then he goes back to Iron Maiden and that band, which had flagged in the 90s, is revitalized by Bruce coming back. And Mm -hmm. they come out with Brave New World and that voice, and I don't mean any disrespect to Blaze Bailey, who replaced him in Iron Maiden, because I love Blaze's work. I even worked for Blaze for a couple of years. But Bruce reinvigorated that band. And ever since they've been on an upward trajectory, ever since he came back. And again, there's a reason he's one of the most iconic singers in metal. And even now, (coughs) he's in his 60s, and he's still running around the stage like a madman. I mean, he is one of the most energetic fronts, uh, frontmen you will ever see. He's just incredible. That's why Bruce is my second choice. Yeah, I agree. There is definitely, I don't know that either of them are classically trained, but there's definitely an operatic style to both him and Ronnie mm-hmm. that I think takes the that that metal scene to a higher level. And I think that there is not only their vocals, but there is an intelligence in their lyrics. And especially Bruce, I think, is so incredibly literate that he, I mean, I counted, I think, 27 different Iron Maiden songs which are inspired by literature. He is an incredibly smart, well-read gentleman who can write a song. Yeah, and always has been. I mean, you, you look back on that throughout his entire career, and he's always gone back to literature for inspiration, yes. some of which has been pretty obscure stuff. I mean, the, the Chemical Wedding in itself was effectively a concept album around the works of William Blake, which is amazing and so incredibly esoteric. I, I mean, to me, he's just a genius. Sean pitches in on Stephanie's selection of Elton John that he recently saw Elton lose his voice in Auckland and his tears brought on Sean's tears. I I guess that's what he's saying as he changed his set with, for example, song for guy played spontaneously. That's really cool. And which is a great song. Yeah. Oh, Mm. that's, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Okay. I guess that's me next. Right. All right, so we're going to go back to the 60s, to the hazy days of drugs and alcohol. and Wait, we're, we're not there go... still? What? <laughs> and we're going to go with the iconic voice of Miss Grace Slick. Yeah. Who, you know, I love that whole 60s scene, and um, particularly Jefferson Airplane, Uh, I think is just one of the greatest American bands ever. I think that Grace doesn't get her due. She she's, I think she gets her due as a vocalist, but um, I don't think people think of her in terms of being a songwriter and a pianist. And she excels at both of those things. And as a vocalist, I think that she has this dynamic quality and a, a real like drama about her voice that really sells any song that she's singing and some of the examples that uh, she's another one that pulls from literature a good bit. And an example that I'm thinking of is a song called rejoice, which was sort of inspired by James Joyce and various novels. And the, the lyrics are 
just so cutting and so like insightful and the vocal is really rich and gorgeous and there's a number of songs that i can think of from her lawman is one from uh, one of the last jefferson airplane albums called bark eskimo blue day is a song from volunteers and um man it's just an amazing song um and there's just all kinds of things one of my favorite songs of hers though is a jefferson starship song it's from one of the early Jefferson Starship. So she she was in Airplane. She went through the entire history of like both versions of Jefferson Starship. Um, and then Airplane reformed. And, you know, she's just done so much stuff. But there's a song on the Dragonfly album called Hyperdrive. And it's just one of the coolest lyrics I've ever heard. It's this seven-minute song almost eight minutes actually that's really kind of like slow and drawn out with all this amazing imagery this like really trippy stuff about there being corners and time and all this kind of stuff and her piano playing on it and her voice on it is just stunning so grace slick man she defined that whole generation as far as i'm concerned like there's you know, it's hard not to talk about Janis Joplin, but there are there's just nobody that tops Grace Slick for me. She is just she is the 60s for me. And to give a shout out to another literary influence from her, Alan White Rabbit, that oh, is based yes. around Alice Through the Looking Glass and yes. easily an iconic song featuring her voice so heavily. Amazing. Right on. All right, so at this point, I think we will take a little quick break, and we'll be back in 30 seconds to finish our discussion. Good afternoon. May we be of assistance, sir? Yes, I'm looking for a podcast for someone who likes that 1960s headache music. Don't these podcasters have atrocious taste? Sir, may I recommend this podcast by Monkeying Around? I guarantee a migraine. I never heard of Monkeying Around. You never heard of Monkeying Around? He's, He's never, never heard, heard of, of monkeying, monkeying Around. What does Monkeying Around sound like? <laughs> I'll take it. He took it? He took it. Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. So uh, I'm going to go to the mean streets of Southport, England, which are not mean or they barely streets. But uh, I'm going to pick uh, Mark Almond from Soft Cell. A uh, couple reasons here. Um, one is his ability to sort of sing across eras, right? Uh, he takes his passion for Northern soul and brings it to something like Tainted Love. He is a fan of that like cultural phenomenon in England called the kitchen sink drama and brings those to records like say hello wave goodbye or torch then he's got the you know the stuff he did where he's doing covers of jacques brel then he's making a record a number i think it was the only number one he had as a soloist but he made a record with gene pitney um a cover of something's got a hold of my heart then in 1987 he made an ep under the the name of flesh volcano with uh, jg thurwell of scraping fetus so he's he's done collaborations. He's worked across genres. He's got this like way of merging soul and synth pop that I don't think a lot of singers have. It's a very distinctive voice. It's very sort of um, at times it's very elegant, but at times it's very sleazy, uh, which is interesting. He, his narrative story writing, like you know, I know I talked about "Say Hello, Wave Goodbye," but something like that, or even you know, "The Art of Falling Apart" or "Down in the Subway." You listen to that; they're, they're great stories, and 
that's really interesting. And then the other thing that's kind of fascinating about him is he had a horrific motorcycle accident and most of his um, face had to be reconstructed and he had to learn how to sing again completely wow. from scratch. So his voice, when you listen to him now, because they put out a record last year, it is a little different, but he basically has learned to sing again in a way that sounds similar to his old voice, but the pitch is a little different. The inflection's a little different, but it's all still there. Wow. But like the stuff where he covers um, songs by Jacques Brel is really fantastic. And I think that um, his sense for like what works as pop works really well. And then you take something like Tainted Love, which, you know, comes from a Northern Soul record and it kind of makes it their, their signature, really. And then he takes, he nicks the Supremes with Where Did Our Love Go, right? But then you get stuff like um, memorabilia, which is just very much of the 80s and very frantic and frenetic, right? And then um, he put out a record last year called Heart Like Chernobyl that's very catty and kind of dark. So he, too, has that, like, dark mysticism thing going on. You're just not really sure where he's coming from. But he's also got this sort of um, – he's got a swagger and he's got a style and um, he is not afraid to do what he wants, you know, Um Anybody who makes a song called I'm Sick of You Tasting Like Somebody Else, you know, pretty clearly knows what, what they're singing about. So, yeah, that's my that's my new one. I'd also like to give him a shout out for making possibly the sleaziest record ever with Sex Dwarf, which I would, yeah. I, I'm on record as saying his voice sounds viciously gay. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's, I had not heard that before. Anthony sent it to me uh, oh, last so week and I was like, dude, that is that is the, something. Did, you watch the uh, the live version from the old Grey Whistle Test, and just his body language in that it's yeah. I, uh, vicious is the only word I could come up with to describe it. There is a yeah. real nastiness to the sleaze on that record I that mean, I he, just really love. He mark he loved Mark Boland so much he borrowed his C for for the mark right, <laughs> and he takes the sleaziness of Boland and like just turns it to eleven. It's it's really interesting. Uh, I will um, say that Alan and I were going to duke it out for this pick of mine, but Alan graciously let me <laughs> let me talk about Ann Wilson, the Queen, the Queen. I mean, look, Alan even plays Ann Wilson like heart songs, right? Aunt, in a heart that, tribute, in a heart band. tribute band, and, and still he lets me talk about Ann. <laughs> so we'll have to jointly talk about her. Yeah, I feel like. She can go from like zero to a hundred in in a second, you know. She there's a, like for example on lighter touch, mm. uh, where she's just the intro is so quiet, so beautiful, so like just back of her throat kind of singing like you know, mellow, and then she just ramps it right up to to that huge you know yeah. crescendo in the beginning of that song. So she, I feel like she's another one that can do no wrong. She's, she also has a very, she's got an edge to her voice, but she can also sing very purely. Um, it, she can, she, she's very versatile too in her style. Um, of course, you know, look, she's, she could sound just like Robert Plant when she wants to, and she can be rocking as hell, but, um, then she, you know, goes to something like dog and butterfly where it's a gentle beautiful mm -hmm. mellow song or dreamboat annie you know th there's a several versions of that but um the 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 acoustic uh the acoustic kind of mellow version uh is just you know a soft beautiful song she has amazing 
control over her voice. And she still does. We've seen her recently live, Bob and I, and she's just as rocking as ever. I mean, it's almost like time hasn't touched her in terms of her voice. I mean, a little bit, obviously, but she yeah. st- she can still pretty pretty much do it. So she's my third pick. I, I remember, and this this goes back a few years, and, and, I, and I don't remember the people involved, but I remember a producer mm-hmm. uh, who was talking about being in the studio with some singer, and and the producer was saying, okay, so I think what you should do is like on the first part of the song, you know, deliver it like you're doing. And then we'll do like at the, at the, at the climax of it, I want you to like go up an octave and really like wail it, really like push it through. And, and the singer said, who do you think I am? Ann Wilson. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Not everybody can do that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That is not something everyone can do. Yeah, she's just what she's she's a rare talent. She really is. And you know, another cool thing about being that the band Heart is just that Nancy has an amazing voice too and they blend so well. Yes. Yes, I mean, you could almost I mean, because Anne as far as like modern rock goes is so iconic. You know, you could easily do this list with Nancy instead mm-hmm. because Nancy is quite a talent. She really is. Um and equally I'm not not quite equally because there's nothing like Ann Wilson, especially in her prime, like around yeah. the early to like early 80s to like 87, 89, up into the 90s. There was nobody that could touch her live. Yeah. Nobody. Yep. So yeah, man. But but Nancy, Nancy's no no schlub either, man. Nope. She's she has got the pipes and they are both amazing songwriters and their harmonies are mm. perfect. Sister singing, you know. That's right. Yeah, so that's mine, Anthony. Well, I'm going to take us back in a hard rock, but not a metal direction. Okay. (laughs) Nuances here, guys, with (laughs) the one and only Glenn Hughes, who, for those who don't know Glenn Hughes, he started his career in a band called Trapeze. Then he was in Deep Purple for three albums for um, Stormbringer, Burn, and um, Come Taste the Band. Then he went off and did a solo thing for a while. He was in Black Sabbath, one album that everyone, including he, would rather forget. (laughs) Before eventually coming back around, relaunching his solo career, forming Black Country Communion, Mm -hmm. and most recently uh, doing a stint in The Dead Daisies. And what I find so interesting about Glenn is he's predominantly played in hard rock bands, but he considers himself to be a soul singer. And he's got a real kind of smooth, croony voice that some have compared uh, to Stevie Wonder. And he's been kind of described as having a a white man Stevie Wonder voice to the point where he played Come Taste the Band to Stevie Wonder when they recorded it. And apparently upon hearing Getting Tighter, Stevie broke up into a big smile and said, oh, you listen to my music. So that kind of adds a very unique spin to his records, having that soul and funk uh, influence that Alan previously talked about with Prince, but bringing that slightly heavier edge to it. And wow, what a great set of pipes he has. I I had the privilege of seeing him on a solo tour, I think it was in 2019, when he was playing uh, Deep Purple. Specifically, he was celebrating, I think it was Burn. And 
he can still hit every single one of those notes that he was hitting in the 70s. He is phenomenal. Wow. And given all of the drug problems he had, I'm amazed mm. he can still hit those notes. And yet he can. He is one lucky bastard. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Okay, so um, my next one, I there was so many that I would have put on my list. I would have had Dio. I would have had Bruce Dickinson. I certainly would have had Ann Wilson. All of those people could go on my list. I could have gone for Bowie, who would be like the most obvious pick for me. But I really wanted to take an opportunity to kind of like talk about a couple of people that I don't really talk about much or at all on our show. And this next one, I don't think I've ever even mentioned before, but um, particularly throughout the 80s, he was this was introduced to me by a best friend at the time, Carrie Christopher. Hi, Carrie. I doubt you're watching. I haven't heard from you in decades, but, um, you know, you never know. Um, and that is in excess with their amazing lead singer, Michael oh, Hutchins. Good. Pick. Um, and, and, you know, this is one of those examples of charisma. Like, I think he's got a great singing voice and I think he was a, a really good front man. I, I don't think he's, I mean, he's not an Ann Wilson. He is not a Ronnie James Dio, but, his charisma, he he just had this magnetism about yep. him that just, I mean, look at this picture with all this, this huge audience that just draws that number of people in. And, and I think that he was just an incredible uh, performer. He was, I I've saw, seen, I saw them a few times. He was amazing. I did too. Yeah, I did too. I saw them um, on, I don't remember which tour it was now. Um, but anyway, so, uh, but I, I saw him and it was just an amazing show. Yeah. And so a couple of things that I want to point out, and that is, uh, you know, a, a lot of the hits I think are great new sensation and mystify and, you know, that kind of stuff. Shining star. I love shining star. That is probably my favorite in excess song. And that was, uh, like a bonus studio track on their live album, live baby live. Um, but it's just so good and um burn for you this time i love their earlier stuff a lot but um from that big album the one that had um never tear us apart and all those things the opening track guns in the sky mm. oh, holy shit i love that song so yeah michael hutchins man yeah what a sad tragic ending to what i think is an incredible career and you know in excess tried to replace them they even did that reality show where they auditioned singers live on television oh my god i forgot to, about yeah, that yeah to carry on their career and i mean you cannot replace this guy there's nothing there's nothing that really works in the chemistry of that band if it's not michael hutchins and it's just man it's it's so sad so tragic yeah, yeah you get the swing and then you get listen like thieves where after God. the first couple records yeah. is a completely different way of singing almost. Right. Yeah. Because when you listen to like original sin, right. Mm -hmm. And the songs on, uh, on that album, it's almost like the cadence and the, the style in which he's doing his deliveries of his songs is a little, you can tell he's getting there that, that like he's transitioning from being like, a singer who's like an indie singer into a pop singer. And then you get to listen like thieves and you're like, this guy's an arena singer. 
right? Yeah. You can, you can hear it, right? By the time you get done with Listen Like Thieves, you're like, I don't know where this band is going, but I know that, that he's carrying them on their back. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, that's, I think, one of the big things about him is that he just sort of just made that whole band. And he was, of course, so charismatic that he stole Paulie Yates away from Bob Geldof, which... <laughs> <you know. laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> um, Sean Bartlett chimes in again, and he puts his top five out. So his number five is Bjork, which I know Rob appreciates. Number four is David Sylvian and Andy Partridge, a tie there. Yes. Uh, three is Tom York, which is an interesting pick. Number two is Bowie and number one, Billy McKenzie. And he says, sorry, I cheated a bit, but I'm loving this podcast. Thank well, you so much. We super appreciate that. I, I think Tom York, I just want to very quickly comment on him because I don't think any of us called him out, but his voice can be hauntingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. I wouldn't have thought to put him on this, but wow, he, the, the, uh, the yeah. remake of Suspiria, the movie, his voice on the soundtrack for that makes elements of that movie so much more haunting. He's mm. really got a, a a pretty unique voice. And you listen to like some of the stuff on the bends, like like High and Dry. It's like his song, his voice is pretty much carrying that. You listen to you on Pablo Honey, or you listen to Street Spirit, know, yeah, or even Karma Police on OK Computer, right? Mm -hmm. This is very much a vocalist who's got a style and a range that's different and unique and um, completely set apart from other people. Yeah. When I was putting my list together, I looked through like every album that I own and I own a lot. And I looked at, I considered everybody and I flipped past my Radiohead CDs. And I don't think it even occurred to me to put Tom York on this list, but I'm so I, I find it fascinating that that he is in someone's top five. And I love the fact that that many different kinds of singers can mean that much to different people. OK, so we got two more each to go. So let's let's pick up the pace a little bit. We can go a little long if we need to. But uh, Rob, hit us with your number four. So outside of Johnny Cash, he's probably the best concert I've ever seen. Johnny Cash and the Pogues are probably in the top five. After 9-11, when everybody started coming back, they had a birthday party in St. Louis for Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry played. And um, the support act was Little Richard. And I went. And my God, that is the best hour and 20 minutes of a man just screaming and singing and having fun. It was, I don't know how to explain it other than it was otherworldly, right? Like when he did Lucille, like he could barely walk because the hips were gone, Right. But like when he did Lucille, uh, when he did like Lucille, he did a cover of Lucille. He did, you know, um, a couple other songs. It's just like, it's one of those times where you're like hair on the back of your neck goes up. So one, he's got the voice. Two, I think you could make an argument that little Richard invented the idea of charisma and rock and roll. Also, he did this really interesting thing where he quit doing rock and roll in th at the height of his career. And just decided to make gospel records. Yeah. And even those gospel records are amazing. I've gone back and listened to them because I'm not a gospel music guy, but they're amazing. So he clearly can sing, but he's got these records that are like blatantly raunchy, but they're also incredibly catchy as pop songs. And he's got this like 
in the 1950s, this, I don't care what you think of me. I'm a defiant black man who is what I am. That is making like tons of statements and scaring the hell out of parents in ways that just does not happen. And everyone from Prince to Janelle Monet owes a debt yeah. to, uh, to little Richard and just the, the singing style that is both soulful and screaming, uh, both reverent and irreverent at the same time is incredible. And his string of pop records that he put out in the early 60s before he switched over to gospel, man, they're phenomenal. Like Tutti Frutti, you know, we all think they're novelty records now, but like Tutti Frutti is like two and a half minutes of just balls to the wall, kick you in the face pop music, right? Um, all right. A person that at least three of us know, Daniel Pierce, says, talk about Celine. You you can't argue with the pipes on Celine Dion. No way. I, I may not be a fan of the 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 songs, the music, the delivery, but my God, what a voice that woman has! That she's under one of the you know you had asked before is it is a good voice alone enough or whatever? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it is like I'm not a great fan of her either. Either, but if I hear her singing live or something, there's just no way I can look away. It's it's she's like unbelievable the yeah, voice i will i will never forgive her uh -oh. for oh. the constant video playing on mtv in, her i don't know what it was 97 98 of my heart will go on <laughs> uh, not her fault not her fault i hope you're happy because it's in the top 20 again yeah <laughs> oh, jesus fucking christ <laughs> yeah no <laughs> oh. Well, I'm oh, going to do like a 180 from Celine. Sorry, Daniel, we're going to pivot. <laughs> we're going to pivot. And um, I'm going to go with Brian Wilson, who's my, yep. one of my idols. <laughs> uh, I don't really, you know, there, what can you say about this guy? Look, he's got the most complicated story of almost anyone in rock and roll. And he's yet <laughs> he's true. still here um, making, you know, he's out there doing it still. Um, there's one of my favorite albums is, is pet sounds and i know it's kind of cliched but it's it's for a reason because every single song on that album is is genius when i listen to i just wasn't made for these times almost every time i want to cry because you can feel the pain coming through and he's it's almost like childlike innocence mm -hmm. and pain and you know a life trauma and uh, he, he conveys so much with his beautiful soaring voice. The fact that he composed, you know, everything, you know, almost all of this by, by himself really, um, is incredible. And that the voice on this guy is just un, unbeatable. And, and it wasn't just with, with more advanced albums. I don't think I feel like, you know, help me Rhonda all summer long, these kind of, you know, Classic song. I get around. You know, you you hear that voice, and it's just that's another case of the of what a unique voice. I don't know anyone that can sound like that. Um, yeah, I mean, when I when I saw him on that Pet Sounds tour, and he did God only knows. Oh. I I think I cried. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard I, not I, to. It's it, he's one of those people that you just have to see. Yeah, yeah. You have to drop everything and go see. Yeah, and. This is really funny because this is the third time that Help Me Rhonda has come up this mm. week, right? And 
people forget because he's got this legendary status. And we've done a couple older podcasts where we talk about Brian Wilson. You can go back and listen to those. But um, people often forget those really outstanding Beach Boy records. Yeah. Just, yeah. And just think about a song like Caroline No. It's like, oh, I just, every every single thing, when I think about him, it's just like some emotional, you know, it just, it's, it's just so emotional. I think he brings out so much emotion and he gives so much emotion. So anyway. Rob, Rob mentioned God Only Knows. I think that is one mm. of the greatest pop songs ever written. Yeah. 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 Amazing. All right, Anthony. Let's do it. Steph just talked about taking a 180, and I'm going to take us on another 180. <laughs> in, in fact, this might even be a, a, a 720. I, I don't know. This is really far. <laughs> Our heads are flying away off. from Brian Wilson. Uh, so I'm going with Alyssa White Gluz. For, for a long time, I thought it was pronounced Gluz. It's apparently Gluz. And she is the current singer for Arch Enemy. Uh, for those who don't know of Arch Enemy, they are a melodic death metal band probably wondering what the fuck is melodic death metal well that means that the the music itself tends to be fairly melodic as you would see in traditional heavy metal like iron maiden where where the singing tends to be uh, heavily growled and this lady is one of the best metal growlers i have ever heard she has this very impressive set of vocal cords. I, I was trying to figure out how to say that without saying she has an impressive throat, which sounds very odd in me. <laughs> um, what, what I find so impressive about her, and she's only just started doing it with Arch Enemy, but she did it more with her former band, The Agonist, is how she can transition from those harsh, growled vocals to the cleans. Hmm. And I've seen footage of her doing it live where she'll be full on like, and then just go into this amazing, uh, beautiful, melodic voice. It is so impressive. And you you turned us on to her. I really, I love her. I think she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, She's Canadian. So don't hold that against her. But beyond that, Canada. But beyond that, uh, you know, she's just she's fantastic. And I'm I'm very happy that Arch Enemy picked her up uh, when they did as as the replacement for their previous singer, who was also a lady who had a very impressive growling voice. But she's not who I want to talk about today. So, yes, Alyssa White Glass. Absolutely love her. Another one that I don't think I've ever really talked much about on our show, and that is Crowded House. And Neil Finn, who, you know, kind of like Michael Hutchins, isn't like a spectacular singer. I think that his strength is as a songwriter. And I think that he is is one of the greatest like song crafters. He is an impressive lyricist. um, And I think that he writes well for his voice. And and, and not to say that he's not a good singer singer because i think he is i think he has a really great voice but um i I, i'm i just absolutely love crowded house um i think as modern pop crooners almost and that's not a a really good way to put it i I just think that there's nobody that can really touch neil finn i just think he is an amazing writer and singer and let me get one comment i'm so glad you picked him because he was on my runner-up list and i just he's amazing yeah. Sean Bartlett says, if you're <laughs> going to mention Celine, how about Fred Durst, Chad Kroger, or Yoko Ono? Only joking. Uh? Better say Ian Dury. 
Uh, I don't have Ian Dury on my list, but okay. Fred Durst. (laughs) I think Sean might be trolling a little. I don't know why. I love it. I love it. All right. So we're we're at the lightning round. Right? So Rob. Hit us with your last one and let's be quick. The fist one, the last one was the hardest one. Uh, so I went with Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys. I just said to myself, what's the one voice that I can think of off the top of my head that sounds like no other voice? Mm. That's what I came up with. This like combination of like surrealism in his vocals and in his songs is pretty incredible. You know, he's done desert rock. He's done soul. He's done sort of like this lounge kind of stuff. He's done rock and indie. He's kind of all over the place with what he sings uh, his voice is very distinctive, whether it's, you know, Don't You Look Good on the Dance Floor, Crying Lightning, and then, you know, the, the AM songs. They're all different styles of music sung by the same guy. It's almost like more than one different band. So, um, yeah, that's my last one. All right. My, the Steph. fifth one was hardest for me, too, because it's like there's so many runners up. Like, I mean, how yeah. do I not have Karen Carpenter on here or Pat Benatar or Paul McCartney or Jennifer Hudson or whatever? But yeah, I went with someone who I absolutely love and I don't think I could not hear another one of his songs. Daryl Hall. Um, I feel like just the, you know, the classic blue eyed soul kind of, you know, Philly sound that I mean, he's very open about his influences. Um, but he's, he, he does it well. And he's, you know, they've gone from the seventies to the eighties. I mean, they were massive in the eighties and the nineties, up until now and still doing it. uh, So hit after hit after hit. I mean, especially in the seventies and eighties, you know, with Sarah smile, she's gone kiss on my list. And they're, you know, like eighties phase, private eyes and all, you know, um and man eater <laughs> right and into big bamboom and h2o i mean there's just uh they you know I, I i just i love the smoothness of his voice i i love again that he can also do a a very nice kind of calm mellow thing and then really ramp it up and he's got a great range he's got a great vocal range so uh so he's my fifth pick all right anthony well, I'm going with something completely different from every other singer I've gone for. So up until now, I've gone for hard rock and heavy metal singers. My last and final choice is an out-and-out pop singer, and that is Marina Diamandis, also known as Marina in the Diamonds, also known simply as Marina. And she has such a unique voice. The way she pronounces her words, it, she's just a really interesting singer to me. And I find her incredibly entrancing. She's not necessarily what I would normally listen to. Uh, Her music I would best describe as kind of very quirky pop music. Uh, There are some albums she's done I love better than others, particularly Love Fruit. That came out at a very difficult time of my life and gave me some some real strength that things would get better and and uh, and that, you know, breakups were not as bad as they may seem at the time. I, I think she's just a fascinating artist. She writes all of her own music, um, occasionally bringing in collaborators, but you can always tell when there were collaborators because they, they're the albums that sound less like her own style. I, I, I've had the privilege of seeing her live on three occasions, and she is every bit as brilliant live as she is in the studio. So absolutely adore her. Go check her out if you want to listen to any of her albums. I highly recommend um, both... Uh, Uh, fruit and her most recent one which the name escapes me right now but i'll remember it and mention it before we wrap up since we're on a speed round 
<laughs> All right. And to close us out, um, somebody that I have mentioned a few times, um, not a whole lot, not certainly as much as I've mentioned Bowie, which I've run into the ground, I'm pretty sure. But um, <laughs> one of my favorite bands, October Project, and their lead singer, Mary Fall, who oh, is wow. just incredible. She has this lush sort of really throaty alto voice mm -hmm. that's just incredible and she has a, a really strong range and um she was uh, the lead singer for october project for their first two albums they they reformed later on in different guises and it, it was never the same and then she went on to a solo career where she's i mean just some of her stuff is unbelievable um i would highly highly recommend the first october project album is unique and just lush and gorgeous and i can't say enough about her she's amazing um one final comment from sean bartlett he says cheers guys enjoyed that i felt like the fifth member of the beatles tonight you are that's so <laughs> awesome thank you all right so that's uh it very oh, quickly, yes, I, yes. I remembered it. It's Ancient Dreams in a Modern Land. That was her most recent. Ah, good so job. Go check that out. Very good. Excellent. All right, gang. That was it for our first live show. Thank you so much for the folks who have watched along. And thanks for the people who commented. Um, we are going to be back next Sunday. Or sorry, next Monday. So this show will go out tomorrow as our podcast. And then next week, we'll be doing another thing, possibly on metal. We'll see. Well, Tommy Stinson's coming up the week after, though. Right. Oh, that's right. Oh, right. So, so next Monday, our interview with Tommy Stinson, a great interview, man. We yeah. really enjoyed having him on. That'll come out next week. We'll be recording, uh, most likely, a metal show with a couple of guests, and that'll go out the following Monday. Thank you for keeping me on schedule, Stephanie. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So, gang, even though we've got our credits on screen, why don't we tell people for the podcast tomorrow where they can find more about us if they were listening, if they're wanting to find us? <laughs> Stephanie, how about you? <laughs> okay. You can find me right here at my website, therearebirds.com. You can find me on Bandcamp under my name, Stephanie Seymour. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music and on Instagram at there underscore are underscore birds and on all the streaming platforms all over the place, Spotify and all that. Nice. All right, Rob. So you can find me on uh, Twitter post and, and the Facebook. Uh, also on Weekend Justice from uh, needcoffee.com there. Um, train wreck podcast we do once a month. Uh, also, every week on Mondays, I do a show on Louder Than War Radio called Antics. It's 6 to 8 Greenwich time, 1 to 3 Eastern, 12 to 2 Central, and um, all kinds of sounds in no particular order. You can just listen to it. Um, if you are missing it, you can go to the Mixcloud page and listen to that show or all the other shows on the network as well. And then Wednesdays, uh, I do a show called Juxtaposition on KDHX. And... Um, it's 7 to 9 p.m. Central. If you're busy, you know, you might be out and about. You might be getting drinks. You might be working or whatever. Maybe you're brushing your teeth with Crest or whatever. Um, or maybe you're trying to go to the store and find some AIM. Um, it's okay. You can just listen to it later on our archive stream at kdhx.org. Please listen because I'm very sad. <laughs> <laughs> 
and you got a you got a, 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 a an email i guess it was from a, a listener who gave you a very special list you know what i'm talking about um uh, i've had a who, couple people email me in the last couple of weeks that are that are interesting um, the one who the, the one you the, you you said a listener emailed you and and gave you an, an entire list of animals that you can use. Oh yeah, your... we talked. We, we mentioned we mentioned that uh, on last week's show. I mentioned the uh, one of them. But yeah, I had a listener that sent a whole list of. Um, normally, when we do this, I'll come up with an animal saying like, "Oh, if you're watering your hedgehog or something, right?" And <laughs> someone sent me, someone came up with like a list of of animals, and they're. They're very specific, like um, African pit viper, um, you know, uh, Madagascar fruit bat. You know, they are oh, very, very specific. So you'll be hearing more of those um, in the coming weeks. All right, Anthony, where can people locate you and your sultry voice? You can also hear me on Watches in the Fourth Dimension, a podcast where myself and two friends now, used to be three friends, are watching our way through all of Doc 2 from 1963 until now. We have been on hiatus since January, but we are working on new material now. Yay! So we're coming back. Good. Um, but beyond that, you know, there and here. Those are the two places you can hear me. Nice. And I have written a few books and have a few new ones in the works that are coming out pretty soon. And I've got a few other podcasts and you can find all of those great things on CosmicCreative.com. And I, I guess for the people listening after tonight, I should say that it is spelled K-O-Z-M-I-C Creative.com. Fortunately for the people watching, they can just see it on screen and they don't have to be told how it's spelled. All right. So that's it for us this week. We will be back next week. I hope you'll be listening then. Thank you all so much for joining in. And we will see you soon. Keep rocking on. Rock on! This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.